it hits just about everyone in the community at some point. There's still such a stigma attached to mental illness. It feels lonely. It feels like you're the only one who has ever gone through something like this. That's really the million dollar question is how do you get somebody to want to get help? Welcome to Mental Health Matters, a podcast that accompanies the Observer Reporter's year-long series on mental health issues in southwestern Pennsylvania. In each episode, we will examine different aspects of mental health and talk to the people that deal with and are affected by these issues, because mental health matters. I'm Mike Pekosh. I'm a counselor in private practice in Washington, Pennsylvania. I have Pekosh Counseling and Consulting. And today I'm very happy to be here with uh, members of the Observer Reporter and to talk with them about their mental health series. So I'm going to have you each introduce yourselves and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do here with the paper, and then we'll talk more in depth about the series. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, my name's Liz Rogers, and I'm the executive editor here at The Observer Reporter, and I essentially oversee the newsroom operations at The Observer and also our weekly in the South Hills called The Almanac. Uh, I'm Natalie Miller, and I'm a staff writer here at The Observer Reporter. I primarily cover the Washington area and South and North Strabane. And I'm Karen Mansfield, also a staff writer here at The Observer Reporter, and I have been one of several staff writers and, and staff members that are working on the mental health series. Thank you. Do we call it Mental Health Matters? I noticed that was the hashtag that you were using. Right, online. and that's that's the name of our series. It's Mental, Mental Health, health matters. matters. And we chose yeah. that purposely since it is the hashtag for the national, for the movement, I suppose, so for national Great. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose to, to feature Mental Health Matters in the paper? We like to do a, a series every year, an initiative that encompasses the, most of the staff here and something that has meaning and will resonate in our community. And in the past, we've done Alzheimer's and dementia. We've done homelessness. And we chose mental health because we feel like it hits just about everyone in the community at some point. It's a topic that I think really needs to be explored more so. We wanted to also take a look at how the services are being delivered locally, Washington and Greene counties and uh, the South Hills, as well as in the Mon Valley communities. We've heard about some problems, and we thought that the best way to address those problems will be th through us, and uh, hopefully we can make some strides and bring it to the forefront here locally. Liz, if I can just interject too, one of the things that I think all of the series that we've worked on at the Observe Reporter over the past four or five years have been really meaningful and relevant. But the thing that did surprise me when we were talking about doing the mental health series is I remember talking about Alzheimer's and how it affects about 5.7 million people every year. And when I found out the statistics on mental health, where 43.8 million Americans have some form of mental illness and 10 million of them have a severe mental illness, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or severe depression. And it is really one of those illnesses that is just it, it does affect so many of us. I think we all know somebody who either has mental illness or a family member or a coworker that has dealt with it. So I think the scope of it is really, it, it's a 
you know, overwhelming. And two, the the big thing, as opposed to Alzheimer's or um, cancer or any of the other diseases that we're talking about, there's still such a stigma attached to mental illness that um, people are a lot more uncomfortable dealing with somebody with mental illness than they are with somebody with Alzheimer's or cancer or some other disease. Thank you, Karen. Um, You mentioned that was some of the statistics were surprising to you. Natalie, in your work on this so far, can you talk a bit about some of the things you were kind of surprised to, to find out about mental health and mental health treatment? Um, I think uh, my my part in this series was uh, I interviewed a local family, the Helds, who their oldest daughter, Monica Held, committed suicide in 2012. And while I knew a lot of people suffer from mental illness, it's just surprising to me how, of course, there's some commonality and there's uh, maybe some common threads of how people feel. But these stories are so unique to the individuals and to the families uh, who are who are dealing with things. And one part Part of that, that that does surprise me is that stigma is still there. I think it, we have come a long way. But one of my questions for you is how, how have you seen that maybe change um, or evolve, especially recently? You know, I think back in the 50s, the 60s, this was something we no one talked about. Uh, and now it's getting better, but it's still there. Yes. And, and, and just I've been practicing now for 11 years and, and I can see that we're moving in the right direction. Things are getting better. Um, but, you know, there's still an element of, of shame that people have. You know, there's an element of, you know, the, the can do American spirit is, you know, I don't need help. Um, we used to think, you know, people had a tendency to think they were weak if they were going to reach out for help. Slowly but surely, people are realizing that the brain is an organ in your body, just like any other organ. And so if you were uh, had problems with your, your heart, you would, you would go see a heart doctor. If you had problems with uh, your feet, you'd go see a podiatrist. Uh, well, if you have a, a problem with your brain, you, you need to go see a brain specialist who happens to be called a psychiatrist. Or you can go see a, a therapist for, for talk therapy. So, um, but unfortunately, the, those stigmas are are still there, and I really appreciate then the work that, that you guys are doing here to help end those stigmas. Every little bit helps; it, it really does. You mentioned, Liz, that you saw that there were some problems. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what what you hope to your series can shine a light on some of those problems? Uh, well, Mike, I think that some of the problems that we're seeing is the the lack of professionals. Period to handle the workload that is. <laughs> facing the community, I think that it can be difficult to find the professional for help. It can also be daunting for someone who thinks there might be something wrong and they're not sure where to turn for help. I know that there's in our area a shortage of psychiatrists. We're hearing that as we continue to move forward in our series and we're doing some research for our next upcoming installments that we're learning that there's a gap there and not as many people are going into the field as we need. And, you know, attracting those good doctors to our community, I think, is is going to be important for helping those here who are suffering. And Liz, especially uh, adolescent psychiatrists, too, specifically. You're exactly right. 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 And, There's and a I, real need for child adolescent psychiatric services. Thanks for bringing that one up, Karen, because I was surprised to learn that 
the problem is starting much earlier. At least we're learning that it starts earlier. And I, I guess my question is, is this a, a new occurrence, Mike? Is this something recent? Or have the have these diagnoses not, have they made, but now they're... Yeah, or, or little of column A, little of column B. You know, we, we are recognizing things quickly, uh, more quickly. And but is the question is, are we over-diagnosing in some cases? Because people in a rush to want to get help sometimes may see things that might just be normal behavior, particularly in children and adolescents. Now it's unacceptable behavior, unwanted behavior, but age appropriate. However, I do think that we are getting better at recognizing what we might call disordered behavior enough that you can make a clinical diagnosis. So that's why you're going to see a spike in, in diagnoses and, and there therefore less people available to, to treat them. Those are definitely some of the ongoing challenges that we face. Do you want to talk a little bit, Karen, about where you see the, the series going next? Uh, what's going to be some of the focus? Can you give us a preview of coming attractions? Sure. Uh, the next installment is going to deal with adole- youth and adolescents and services that are available or unavailable to them. Um, we've been fortunate in that since the, our last installment, we had uh, some great feedback from uh, from educators and counselors who were interested in actually getting together within the next week and talking about uh, what's available to students, where they're finding gaps and lapses, uh, such as the availability of, um, of hospital beds. Sometimes uh, they're encountering uh, taking students to hospitals for for evaluation, and those, those kids apparently are being sent home without being evaluated for, for a number of reasons. So that's, I think, where um, where we will be headed next is, is uh, you know, just exploring what's available for, for youth and adolescents, which is a really big component of the, uh, of the mental health uh, people that are dealing with mental health. Natalie, do you want to talk a bit about what your focus might be in some of the upcoming articles? I think for myself, the thing that kind of strikes me most and the, the, maybe the point I want to keep bringing up with this series is obviously there's a need for more services, more professionals, uh, ways for people to get help. But I think it really starts with the individual. I think that's my concern is a lot of people are just unwilling to get help or for them, uh, especially having spoken with Monica's family at length, you know, she was somebody who was functioning, who was going to work, who was living her life, but inside she was dealing with these things. And for her, I think it was maybe just normal. She was used to dealing with it. And so I don't know if this is a question for you, but how to get people who are struggling inside to be honest with other people and to reach out? I mean, what what can be done there? That's that. That's really the million dollar question is how do you get somebody to want to get help? Or to your question is how to, how to get them to, to admit that they there's something wrong in a sense. You know, um, I, I read your article uh, very well done. And um, I don't know, did she have any treatment at, at all? Any um, treatment history? The fam- as far as the family knew, no. Um, she did have one episode her freshman year of college mm-hmm. um, where she took too much over over the counter medication. But other than that, no, she wasn't seeing anyone. She wasn't on any medication. As far as they know, she, she never had been. 
you know, I think a lot of people might be surprised to learn that, particularly like in the case of counselors, we have to go through counseling before we can be a counselor, which is, is all for the good. It's much like a, a tattoo artist has to tattoo himself before they let him tattoo others. At, at the program from which I graduated, uh, Cal U, Harvard on the Mon, as we like to call it, uh, Cal U of PA, we uh, all of us have to go through therapy, go through group therapy. And, um, you know, I found it an enriching, rewarding experience. So what I can tell clients when they come is I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done myself. I've gone through counseling. I've, um, and we tend to use those terms interchangeably, counseling and therapy. I try to help end the stigmas myself by saying, hey, I've gone through counseling and, and I'm obviously you know, superior functioning level here. So, um, But some people still are, are reluctant to say that they've, they've received help or they're, they're on going to counseling or that they're taking an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety uh, medication of some sort. So, um, Mike, so can you maybe tell us when, you know, most of us, I think, on any given day can be sad or anxious, nervous about something. When does that maybe cross? the line into, you know, this is a mental health issue and myself or, you know, my loved one needs help. The the simple answer to that is there's a book called the DSM-5, and that stands for Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, the fifth edition. Uh, It's put out by the American Psychiatric Association. Anytime a clinician wants to diagnose somebody with a behavioral health or mental health issue, they turn to that book, and it's as thick as a dictionary. When, it, when it, someone comes to see me, for example, for an intake, what I'm listening for are certain symptoms that may, that may exist. And then what we can do is go into the DSM and say, they're going to have the criteria listed. So we can make a distinction, for example, between somebody who's sad versus depressed by the specific criteria that exist in the DSM-5. They will have a amount of time that the person has been, they, they'll have specific things such as, um, you know, loss of pleasure and, and formerly pleasurable activity, loss of interest in formerly pleasurable activities increase in fatigue or increase in sleepfulness, those types of things. So we put it all together and then say, does it meet the specific diagnostic criteria? But remember, sometimes it makes sense to be sad. The death of a loved one, the loss of a beloved pet, the penguins lose. It makes sense to be sad. What it doesn't make sense to be is depressed over what might be um, a life event, even a challenging life event. So when it becomes an area of clinical concern is going to be when family and friends are saying, hey, you haven't been yourself and I'm not just saying you've been down in the dumps, but for a long period of time, or you've been acting out, whenever um, people's behavior tends to deteriorate in, in a variety of domains, home, school, work, personal lives, professional lives, um, and you know, either they're suspecting something's wrong or their loved ones, coworkers are saying, hey, you, know, you haven't been yourself or maybe there's something going on there. The best thing would be to go and see a counselor or a psychologist and uh, meet with them. And pretty much most insurance companies are going to have that first session. We even code it differently for the insurance billing purposes. It's going to be a, a diagnostic in nature. So we're going to conduct a structured interview for that first session. At the end of that, the counselor will say, based on what you're telling me, this is what I think. It's anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety disorder or uh, depressive disorder. And they make distinctions between mild, moderate, severe. And then if people are interested, I I can actually show them in the DSM-5. So for instance, a a child behavior issue, um, you might have heard of oppositional defiant disorder. Well, most kids are oppositional at times. Most kids are defiant at times. But there's going to be specific criteria listed within that book that will say, if they're doing it X amount of times over X amount of time, I, I don't have it memorized off the top of my head, then, then you do qualify for that. 
once it's established maybe that someone does have an issue, what are treatment options for people? I mean, do people have many options or is it kind of limited? We, again, we're going to make a distinction between services available for children and adolescents and then services available for adults. So for uh, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh, do I get points for calling it a Commonwealth because it just sounds yes. cooler <laughs> than saying the state of Pennsylvania? Uh, so in the Commonwealth... Um, the, the principle that they want to use for children and adolescents is whatever service is going to be most effective while least restrictive, least restrictions on their freedom and their ability to interact regularly. So it's kind of a step system. As you move up the steps, the services become more intense and, and more restrictions on the freedom. The bottom rung on the totem pole would be outpatient therapy once a week, once every two weeks for a 45, 55 minute session. If that's not effective enough over time, um, you know, and, and, and again, it's going to be on a case by case basis. But if the clinician, as well as the family or the client thinks this isn't helpful, then we'll go up the next step. It's kind of like starting with aspirin and then we'll go to penicillin. And if that doesn't work, then we'll go to whatever a stronger antibiotic is. I don't know. Uh, so the next step would be in-home services. You might have heard of uh, wraparound services, they're uh, BHRS, Behavioral Health Rehabilitation Services, and those services uh, are kind of boots on the ground. They're going to be coming into people's homes and, and working with them and also going into the schools. And then there's family-based mental health, again, that is uh, people coming into the homes, but it's a team of two people. So more services for children and adolescents. Why? Because um, the, more, the, the quicker we can get in and intervene with people, the younger they are, the more effective the services tend to be. It's just like teaching an old dog new tricks. You know, I'm, I'm 40. If I had to learn something new right now, it's going to be tough for me. But if you'd have caught me when I was 10, I would have gotten it a little quicker. For adults... The services range from uh, therapeutic services where you would go in and talk to a counselor, engage in talk therapy of some sort, and the psychiatric services. I like to tell, for, for adults that say uh, have anxiety disorder, there's three ways to treat anxiety. Counseling or medication or counseling and medication. Those are, those are the, the three. So we usually want to start with counseling first. And then if that's not helpful enough, then the next step might be to send them for a consultation with a psychiatrist. And in Washington County, the gateway to that would be the um, Washington County Behavioral and Developmental Services. BHDS, yes. Uh-huh. Behavioral Health Developmental right. Services. And right. They're, um, and I don't have it with me, but there is a, they do have a 1-800 number, mm-hmm. a hotline that mm-hmm. you can call, which is important. And they have um, uh, three units, which are kind of the gateway into getting into the, uh, into the program, right. into the, the mental health services. program in Washington County. So, mm-hmm. um, which... Uh, According to uh, Jan Taper, the director is actually more than most um, uh, counties of this size have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which is a, 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 a an asset for the residents who live here. Those would be necessary for anyone who wanted the higher levels of service, the um, in-home services. But if you had a child that you thought want, needed to talk to a counselor, you can just call up a counselor and make an appointment. And then, but if you need, you know, psychiatric services or the behavioral health rehabilitation services or family-based, then you would have to go through a little more hoops to jump through. Yeah. Uh, do you guys want to talk a bit about where you see this series going, uh, some of the, 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 the future? What, what I really like to hear is h- how you're putting a, a face to this, you know, uh, the, the human face on w- what, is, uh, what, what the, these issues are. 
Well, um, interestingly, Mike, after our first installment ran, I received emails. We've received uh, comments on Facebook, people reaching out to us, thanking us for doing the series and actually telling us their own stories, which is frankly pretty brave on their part to open themselves up to people they don't even know. But it's amazing how we touched them already with just the first installment. We were very fortunate to be working with the agencies that we have in the county. They're making available some people who are very willing to talk to us and share their stories in the hope that it'll help someone else. And we think that that's very important to tell the mental health story through the people who are actually experiencing it or already have gone through it and, and, you know, they feel that they'd like to be able to help someone else who may be struggling. So our goal is not to just tell it through statistics. And I think we succeeded with that first installment with the Held family who should be commended for their candor and reliving that tragic experience with their daughter. But we envision every series having that personal component as people step forward to to tell us the stories. We also think that it's important because we are trying to help break that stigma that is associated with mental health issues. And I think when more people move forward and actually stand up and say, yes, I had battled depression or anxiety issues, and we put a face to that, I think it gives other people more confidence and comfort to seek the help that they may need. You know what else I really like about the work you're doing is I'm all about shattering stereotypes. And what you're doing is, I think you mentioned, Natalie, that you know, to all, you're going to find that people are, can be extremely successful for all intents and purposes or, or by any yardstick that you might measure to say this person's got it going on, things are going well, and they also happen to have a mental health problem of some sort. Uh, absolutely. I know I keep saying this, but I think it's so important to to tell these stories and to show people that, you know, while you are going through this, I know that you, it feels lonely. It feels like you're the only one who has ever gone through something like this. You're the only one who feels this way. But, you know, maybe somebody doesn't know exactly how you feel, but there are people out there struggling and living their lives and putting on a brave face every day and going to work. But, you know, they're having issues too. So, you know, we're not alone in this. I'm reminded of a client who once said to me, you know, I was in Target the other day and I remember looking around thinking, everybody's normal but me. And then later that week, another client said, I was in Giant Eagle and I remember looking around thinking, everybody's normal but me. You know, there's that idea that, hey, I'm, I'm the only one here right. who's struggling. I, I know... Um, Karen, that you have reached out to NAMI, uh, that's the National Alliance on, on Mental Illness, mm -hmm. to get some of the, the facts and figures. Um, can you talk a bit about some of the, the resources that you're going to be trying to tap into? NAMI is a big one. The, you know, It's a national organization that has done a lot. Uh, they have monthly meetings in Washington County, and they also have programs set up for uh, families who are living with uh, a loved one who is suffering from a mental illness, how to, um, how to cope with it, you know, where to go for um, you know how uh, where where to look for for support. So NAMI is huge. We're also, uh, as I mentioned, working with the. Uh uh, Washington County Behavioral and yeah, it's an alphabet soup in this business. <laughs> BHDS. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, um, and they've been incredibly helpful and accessible. Mm -hmm. 
And for this upcoming installment, what I, w- I mentioned, I was surprised that uh, so many s- supervisors from school districts have reached out and counselors who have said, hey, these are the problems that we have. We like the story. We, they, were, they were happy with where it's going. And they said, um, we want to sit down and kind of tell you what we're dealing with every day. So I think we've had, like Liz had said, people have really responded. And that's mm-hmm. been very helpful in us generating uh, sources. This week, I'm meeting with a college professor whose daughter was diagnosed with bipolar Mm -hmm. disorder at the age of six and she's eight now and he wanted to share his story as to what it's like for his family they have two other children one older and one younger Mm -hmm. than his daughter and what their days are like and Mm -hmm. just how exhausting it can be to 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 get through a day Mm -hmm. with their daughter but how rewarding it is too and the the efforts Mm -hmm. they've made to get help for her so that she can lead a a normal productive Mm -hmm. happy life and um yeah so that's uh, we've yeah. got a lot of people that I, I think are willing to that are like Liz said are very brave to share their stories right. because you really are very vulnerable when you put yourself out there. And, and the common theme I'm hearing you all say is that you're realizing that when somebody has a mental health issue, their families are affected by that, right? Whether it's um, unfortunately like with Ms. Held, where they're they're dealing picking up the pieces of their lives afterwards, but living with somebody who has a significant mental health problem, a child with bipolar disorder that also has siblings, you know that 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 child is conceivably going to have a different set of rules. They're going to require a lot more attention from their parents. And so that's, you know, that's going to affect the other kids in the household. It affects the, the parents. So I think what you're seeing is the impact that mental health issues have in, in people's families as well. Um, Mike, can I ask, um, what about families with mental health being hereditary? Maybe could we talk about that a, a bit? Families who maybe mom and dad have a mental health issue? and, and Yeah, sort of that's one of our screening uh, questions, of course, is when, when somebody comes in for an intake, um, is there any family history of anxiety, depression, um, bipolar disorder? And, and then the, the question, again, becomes how much is nature versus nurture? You know, how much of the behavior was learned that, that they saw growing up? Not I'm not about blaming the parents, but we can just look for underlying causes. But but certainly the family history does play an important part in when we're trying to diagnose somebody. Sure. Basically, what we look for is to, to say that there are different spheres that people have in their lives. And then is their functioning being affected in those? So SAMHSA, for example, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration of the federal government, they have a wellness model. And so they have eight spheres, social, occupational, I'm not going to remember all eight of them, spiritual, environmental, you know, all, all these areas that say these are the areas that can treat to people contribute to somebody's sense of wellness. So if something's off in any of those areas, their overall sense of wellness, well-being and health can be affected. Um, So we look at all of those areas whenever somebody comes in, um, you know, for an intake, because again, sometimes it makes sense to be stressed when you're in a stressful situation. It doesn't make sense to give yourself such bad anxiety that you can't leave your home about a situation. Liz, uh, before we we end our our show here for today, you want to talk a bit about uh, some of the uh, subjects you hope to touch on in the coming weeks? weeks and months? Uh, Sure, Mike. Uh, As we stated earlier, the next installment will be in late June, and we'll be looking at mental health and youth. We'll be talking with guidance counselors. Uh, We'll be looking at the programs that are in place to address those issues. We'll also be looking at uh, the impediments to delivery of services, addressing the stigma issue that we've uh, talked a little bit about today. 
funding shortfalls, the shortage of mental health professionals. We'll be looking at all of that. Uh, we'll also swing uh, one month and take a look at law enforcement and how they're trained to deal with uh, people who have mental health issues. We'll take a look at the local mental health court that's in place. As far as uh, HIPAA constraints are concerned, we'll take a look at Tim Murphy's legislation to see uh, where that's going. And then we'll move into treatments that are available, drugs, therapies, and uh, future of mental health delivery of services. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a lot, a lot coming down the road here, and we think that this is going to take us through the end of the year. In conjunction with this series, we are also working with the Mental Health Association of Washington County, helping them with a campaign, uh, anti-stigma campaign, and you'll be seeing more of that uh, in the months to come as well. Great. That's really important work, too. So I, I just, on behalf of, of the practitioners of the county, I want to thank you, all three of you, uh, and, and everybody here at the Observer Reporter, for, for being a big help to us and what we're trying to do here. So thank you. So that should wrap things up for us here today. Um, thank you all for, for sitting down with me and, and hope that we can do this again. You've been listening to Mental Health Matters. For more information on this podcast and the project, visit www.observer-reporter.com backslash mental health.